What up, everybody? How you doing tonight? It's Sunday, and it's October. When you think of October, what do you think of? Fall. What's that? Wait. Pumpkin patch. Football. <laughs> what else? Sweater weather. Okay. All right. Let's go. In four days. Come on, everybody. On the 6th. Oh, yeah. Wow, math. I'm from Cabot. It's part of my testimony. Uh, everybody text her on the 7th. Wish her happy birthday. When I think of October, I th- No? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's your sister. <laughs> uh... When I think of October, I think, how many baseball fans in the house? How many baseball fans? A couple. October for baseball is the best time of year. Like, you just don't get better. Albert Pujols is hitting like 700-something home runs. Aaron Judge is going for the record. He may have already gotten it. I don't know. Still sitting at 61. I think of football. I mean, it's like the prime NFL, college is going on. Football's playing in London. What the heck's going on with this? We're like going worldwide out here. Uh, basketball's around the corner. How many basketball fans in the house? Let's go. Uh, man, it's just golf. Is uh, Okay. Okay. Disc golf is in season always, I think. I don't think we take a break. Yeah, that's right. Uh, man, it's just a great time for sports fans. It's a great time for uh, UCA Bears football won yesterday. How about that? 49 to, like 49 to zero or something like that. We just punished them. We just sent them home crying. We didn't beat them that bad, but volleyball won twice this week, uh, this weekend. So they're dominating everyone that they come into contact with. So if you know any of the girls, text them congrats. Um, women's soccer got a dub. I don't know if we have any of the girls in here. So sports, we're just, we're living large. You know what I mean? Bears sports. Uh, I checked Hend- Hendrick's schedules. Uh, we didn't get a dub yesterday, but we're praying for next week. You know what I mean? Any Warriors in the house? Any Hendrick's Warriors? Big time on the front. Big time on the front. That's crazy. We got one. Let's go. Hey, uh, we're going to start, if you want to turn to Acts 4, we're going to be in Acts 4 tonight, but I want to set it up. Uh, This is kind of the main thought that we're going to work with tonight, is that when the gospel's preached, we should expect opposition, power, and God to use us in a crazy, powerful way. That when the gospel's preached, we should expect opposition, power, and God to use us in some powerful ways. Let's get into scripture. You all ready? I'm going to turn to Acts. Sorry. <clears throat> Acts 4 comes after Acts 3, which we did skip over in case you're keeping good note. Acts 2, Jania spoke last week on the importance of community, everybody belonging to the body of Christ. Y'all love Jania, the word that she brought last week. She did incredible. For those of you who didn't know, she didn't know her dad was coming. Her dad came up here and said, proud of you or whatever he said. I didn't hear it, but it's like a sweet embrace. And I was like, I wish my dad was here. I kind of got emotional, but it was so cool. I love that guy. He's such an awesome, strong dad, man of God. I look up to him a lot. He comes out every now and then, but love them. But hey, Acts 4, enough about that. Acts 4, 1 through 22. We're not going to read all of it. We're just going to 1 through 12. 
right here. So it says, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, I'll explain them here in a moment, came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. This is, they're speaking to everyone that would listen. They're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were greatly disturbed, the temple guard and the Sadducees, because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, praise God, and the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000 people. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power and what name are you doing these things? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, maybe everybody. Filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Holla. I mean, that's a, that's a punch if I've ever seen one. <laughs> whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is only found, it's, it's found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In the rest of this passage of scripture, it's basically the Sanhedrin, which is like Bible court. Uh, anybody seen Judge Judy? It was basically the high priest and all his dudes, and they were like, how can we punish these guys? They've done wrong. They can't be doing this. But really, the whole town has erupted in praise because they've healed this man who sat by the gate and they know it to be true. And so the rest of the story is they're trying to figure out how can, what do we do with them? We got to shut this thing down. And so the rest of the chapter, we'll read that a little bit later on in the passage. But the, the message of tonight's, the, the theme of tonight's message is you, you cannot stop the gospel. Like these people tried everything they could and the gospel could not be stopped. And so tonight, the title of the message is the gospel is everything. The gospel is the best. The gospel is everything. Let's pray. God, as we dig into scripture, Lord, we just pray you teach us. God, I pray you convict us in areas of our life where the gospel is not what it could be, where we haven't taken it to heart, where it hasn't changed us. Lord, I pray that you make yourself known. God, thank you for the love and the grace that you have shown us through your through the gospel, through the cross and the resurrection and your love for us. And God, I pray that it would begin to light a flame inside of each one of us in here as your followers, as your people, that we would want to and not be able to not communicate the love of God through the gospel message. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the book of Acts. Thank you for the wisdom that's in it. Thank you for the way you use the early church and what we can learn from it tonight. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Court. You're incredible. Uh, so tonight, I want to start with a story, and then we're going to look at three points throughout Scripture, and we're going to dissect this Scripture. Um, so keep this open. If you have some notes, get those out. Maybe your notes app on your phone, whatever it may be. Uh, we're just going to, I'm hoping that this message is very practical. Like, how can we walk out of here tonight? empowered to share the gospel of Christ, encouraged in that we need to share the gospel of Christ, but also 
just kind of light a flame inside of us that God would just continue to stir, continue to fan into flame. And maybe our community here would also fan into flame. What was the importance of the early church doing it? And how does it relate to us as the church today? How do we keep sharing the gospel of Christ? So how many of you uh, actually spent some time researching today, like some of the things that people long for most? What do, you, what do you think it is that people, if you were to ask this question, if you could have more of this in your life, what would people say? Just yell out some of those things. What do you think? Money that you said? Yep. Power. What was it? Be confident. Time? Yeah. Let me hear you. Any, anybody else? What? I'm sorry. Speed? Says Logan on the front row. Three-day weekends, okay. I can get behind that. But I looked up some of the things that people in our culture, what are some of the things within the last two, three, four, five years that people would confess to? I wish we had more of this. And this is what they said. Happiness, money, nail in the head, peace, fulfillment, freedom, stability, joy, and confidence. If you look at all eight of these things, I know that it's evident in our culture that people long for these. How many of you could even say that you've wanted more of these things in your life as well? Like I can honestly say that I have as well. But we live in a culture where I feel like we're plagued with longing for something, maybe even getting a glimpse or a taste of it, but honestly not looking for it or or getting tastes of it in the correct ways. Does that make sense? Like we, we constantly go back to something that fulfilled us last time And then we ultimately long for it more some other time. And there's only one place that I know all of these things to come true, all of these things to be fulfilled, all these things to, basically we can find these in one place and one place alone, and that's in Jesus Christ. And so as we look at the gospel message, what what the disciples knew is, man, we have what it takes. We have what people are longing for. We have what people want. And they knew that they had to go out and share it. So me and uh, Emily are very different when it comes to gifts. How many of y'all know the love languages tests, like the words of affirmation, uh, physical touch, receiving gifts, acts of service, and then something else? Quality time, thank you. Uh, You pass, 100%. Uh, But I am words of affirmation, physical touch. My wife is words of affirmation and gifts. And so she always just says, if you buy me nice things and tell me how awesome I am, I'm going to feel valued by you. So I just try to always just do those two things. Uh, I shop at the Dollar Tree. I sh- No, I don't. Uh, I try to do everything I can to make her feel valued and loved. But we are so different when it comes to receiving gifts. So at Christmas time, let's take this for instance, we have the tree set up. It's a whole vibe. It's, it's warm in the house, hot cocoa, whatever. If you put a gift under the tree with my name on it, I'm not opening that mug. Like it's going to stay there. You can trust me. I don't have this overwhelming compulsion to open the gift. Emily is the exact opposite. This girl will straight deceive your face off. She will open the gift. She will rewrap it better than you wrapped it and put it back under the tree. I've gone to measures even leaving gifts at other people's houses so that we, she will not find them. This is how it is. But the, most, the thing that I like most about this is I like giving her the gift because I like to see her expression and the experience she has when she opens it and the joy and everything that she experiences with that. I know how awesome the gift is, therefore I can't wait for her to get it. 
And that's how the disciples were with the gospel message. They were like, I know the power. I know the authority. I know the life change that comes with the gospel. I wish that people would grasp the importance and the message of Jesus and the love he has for them. And this is where we pick up in the first couple points of this, uh, of the text. As you see <clears throat> a couple of chapters earlier, we waited on the spirit. Chapter two, we, the, the power of the spirit came on them. Chapter three, they were preaching some stuff. And then chapter four really hones in on like, they're going to work. Like this is, this is when people, that Peter and John start sharing the gospel. And so I have a couple of scripture, a couple of points out of the scripture that we're gonna read and kind of go over and dig more into. But if you're taking notes, write this down. When the gospel is preached, we should expect opposition. When the gospel is preached, we should expect opposition. Because if you're expecting nothing to happen or everyone to receive it, when you receive opposition, what are you gonna do? You're gonna back up, you're gonna retreat, you're gonna like kind of slow the brakes. But if we go in knowing there are gonna be some people that oppose the message that we're trying to spread, then we're gonna have confidence and boldness and we will be equipped to stand there in those moments and to stand firm on what we do believe in. Acts 4, one through four, it says, the priest and the captain of the temple guard, a little context and a little history. The temple guard, the high priest was like the guy, the most spiritual guy you can think of. He's the one that went into the Holy Holies. He's the one that basically uh, everyone looked to for direction. He heard from God. The guy under him, like the vice president of the church, I guess is what you could say, was this guy, the, the temple guard. And it says, and the Sadducees. So the temple guard and the Sadducees. The, the crazy thing about the Sadducees is a couple hundred years before the New Testament starts, the Sadducees thought that their messianic prophecy, the guy that was the Messiah, happened then. So they don't believe that Jesus was resurrected and he is who he says he is. They don't believe in the resurrection. And so we get to this, this, this group of people, the Sadducees and the, and the uh, temple guard. And of course, they're gonna be upset when they hear Peter and John are claiming and proclaiming that Jesus rose from the dead, that the resurrection is real, and that he healed this man through the power of the resurrection. These guys are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's no way, because this is a false message. This is, there's nothing true about what they're talking about. We do not believe what they are saying. And here you have a battle of truths. Have you seen this before? It's like our culture today. <laughs> just, just in case you missed it. We are, we are battling with truths all throughout our life. We see it in scripture. But we look at this in this text and it's the Sadducees and the temple guard against Peter and John, the disciples and the message of Jesus Christ. When the gospel starts to spread, people start to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not the doctrine that we know. This is not what we think to be true. Therefore, we need to stop this. Later on, it says uh, something along the lines of like, we just got to stop this in scripture. And I'm like, man, what a, can you imagine trying to be the force that stops the gospel message from spreading all throughout the world? And how disappointed you are today if you're part of that crew that's like, we gotta stop this thing. We gotta, put, we gotta shut this thing down. Okay. The Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now you understand that second verse they were mad because they were proclaiming the truth of the resurrection. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who had heard the message had already believed. 
So the number increased and grew to about 5,000. Now today, I don't know that you would confess or even say like, how many of you witness persecution on a regular basis? How many of you experience opposition to your faith and what you believe in? A few of you lacking confidence to raise all the way up. It's, it's all around us. And maybe not as much today, but it is 10, 15, 20 years from now. So the things that you start to learn, the things that you solidify in your life, the things that you grow to believe and know now about your relationship with Christ, why you believe in Jesus Christ, why you believe the resurrection is real, why you believe Jesus died for you and the fact that this is true. How do you know the word is real? These things will be things that you stand on and that when you come up against opposition, you can confidently know, no, this is what I believe and I can stand against the opposition. When we spread the gospel, when we preach the gospel, when we tell people about the love of God, we can expect opposition. When we look at, when we look at scripture, the disciples were even persecuted to this point of like facing death. We see several people who, uh, who were killed for their faith, several people that had to, in, in Israel, the, the reason that the church expanded so much is because everyone had to flee their country, like Israel. And so the reason churches were planted everywhere is because they spread out. All the believers had to flee and then they started planting churches. The Sadducees did not believe the resurrection. Therefore, it led to this battle of truths. The gospel message is offensive to those who do not accept it. Let me read this verse in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross, and this is Paul teaching the church in Corinth. For the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing and spiritually dead. Basically, they, don't re they reject the message of Christ. The message of the cross, salvation, the power that's in it is, is foolishness to those who are perishing and spiritually dead. But to those who are being saved by God's grace, it is the manifestation of the power of God. The, the cross is a visible representation, a physical outpouring of the love of Christ through the resurrection. I have a question tonight. Are you willing to stand... And I want you to really think about this. And now in this group of people, it's gonna be easy to say yes to this question, but I want you to write some of these key phrases down, the key words that I'm about to ask. Are you willing to stand, speak, or spread the gospel, even if your peers or friends or family don't agree with you? I'm just gonna be transparent with you. My, my parents know who God is. They love that I, I'm in church and they love that I like what I do. But that's the extent of it. But it's hard to press into my family dynamic and share the gospel with them because I'm going to see them next weekend. And if they disagree me, if if they disagree with me, it's going to bring some tension. It's going to bring some hurt. It's going to bring some of those things. So family is very hard to to bring the gospel into if they haven't accepted it already. How many of you grew up in a church home that basically your parents are believers already? Okay. How many would you, of you would say your parents are not believers? My hand's up on that. So fewer of you, but when we have to face, and some of you who are counseling and meeting with people and hanging out with people who their families are not saved, this is a difficult situation. This is a difficult conversation when the, when the kids have to come to the parents and say, do you know who Jesus Christ is? But I have a praise report. My, my mom prayed with somebody at woman conference. She didn't give her heart to the Lord, but she said, I want to know more about Jesus. And man, to a son, to somebody who's been praying for his mom, that's like, I have an open door now because she's open and receptive to the things of God. But 
oftentimes when, when I get ready to present the gospel, a lot of times I feel like I have to have it together. I feel like I have to have it polished. And my presentation of the gospel message is the ability for someone to receive it perfectly and then make a decision based on what I tell them to receive Jesus or not. And that's just not it. The power and authority of, of the gospel does not rest in my ability to communicate it. It's, the, it's in the power and ability of the Holy Spirit to use what I say through the Holy Spirit moving in me to move in their heart and make them long and hunger for the things of God. So if we were not as hesitant to share the gospel because of a fear of messing it up and we just did it because we love God so much and we believe it, what would happen? We would be a people known, how many, this is a terrible analogy. This is not in my notes. Y'all remember the song Jesus Freaks by like, I don't even know who it is. DC Talk. Who is that? Tyler? Of course you know it. <laughs> I don't know why, but people are going to know, man, they're, they're crazy about Jesus. They're crazy about the love he has for them. And how, it says in here, how could, I, how could we not tell them of this message? You, you be the judge. Should we obey God or should we obey you? Is what the disciples end up saying. Let's keep going. A point here is the Sadducees, this is John Stott. I'm reading his commentary for those of you who love, how many of y'all nerd out on like studies, stuff like that? So a lot of what we're studying, John Stott has a, uh, I was told this week that uh, Washtenaw Baptist actually, he's one of the commentaries they keep on hand for their Bible scholars. But this guy has a commentary and we're reading it in the book of Acts. It's like, it's thick, y'all. It's thick. But he says, the Sadducees could arrest the apostles but they could not arrest the gospel. And man, that is, that is just so true. Anything that anybody does to try to stop the spread of the gospel will not happen because the gospel comes with power through the Holy Spirit. Point number two, when the gospel is preached, we should expect power. Acts 4, 7 through 12, it says, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. They said, by what power or what name did you do this? trying to trap Peter and John. They're trying to figure out how can we frame them? How can we get them to, to be guilty in some way so that we can stop the spread of the gospel? It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, man, I'm, that's a key phrase in this whole verse. That's where it comes in. Like if we feel like we're, we're doing something, if it's up to us and it's our ability to communicate it, it's the Holy Spirit in Peter that said, Rulers and elders of the people, again, this is the second dude in spiritual commands. This is like, this is not a dude you want to mess with or talk back to or like, you don't want to bring your smarty pants on that day. Like, that's not it. But it says, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Man. What makes the gospel powerful is Jesus, his death and resurrection, not our ability to communicate it. The power that we're speaking of when you preach the gospel, expect power. It's the power of hope restored. And some of you, as I read some of these off, you're going to be able to relate with, I know this. I know what this feels like. I know what this is in my life. The power of hope restored, the power of physical, spiritual, emotional healing the power of purpose and worth, the power of forgiveness, the power of adoption into the family of God, the power of new life 
in Christ. That's the power of the gospel message being preached that we can expect. When we talk about it, when we say it to somebody, when we share our personal connection with the gospel of Christ, we can expect the gospel of Jesus Christ to move in power. We can expect it because that is what the gospel message does. There's power in the story and the hope and the love of the gospel. And lastly, when the gospel is preached, we should expect God to use ordinary people in extraordinary ways. We should expect God to use ordinary people in extraordinary ways. I'm not going to read the rest of the verse. Acts 4.13, it talks about how they saw the courage of Peter and John and how they realized it was just ordinary men who had been walking with Jesus. What could you do for God in His kingdom? Knowing that God uses ordinary, untrained, uneducated, unbobble scholar, that's not even a thing. Like, He uses people who don't have it. He uses them to communicate the gospel and bring them into the family of God. What could you do for the kingdom of God if you just trusted God's going to use me? It's not because of what I can do, what I have done, my ability, my perfection, my track record, my attendance in church. What could you do for the kingdom of God if you were just to walk in courage and faithfulness and obedience? The power didn't come from these two men, Peter and John. The results weren't up to them. In verse 14 it says, But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. It's like, man, I, the proof is right here. The gospel is real. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? <laughs> oh, I love that question. It's like, we're, we're stumped. We've got nowhere else to turn. What can we do with them that's not going to upset the people who are praising God now? They asked, everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them not to speak of his name any longer. And they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They got reprimanded. You better not be speaking in the name of Jesus anymore. And then these dudes said, which is right in God's eyes? Listen to you or listen to him? The boldness in these guys. The boldness to go to their friend group. The boldness to walk into a town that they've never been in. The boldness to walk into a coffee shop. The boldness to walk into their dorm room, their family's house on holidays and share the gospel message. It blows me away. I'm so challenged by the boldness and the confidence that they had and the expectation they had that in their ability, nothing would happen, but the gospel message being communicated would bring forth something. But the results were not up to them. It says, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Any further, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man was 40 years old. Dude was old and healed. He'd been sitting there for probably 20 years, 25 years, expecting the same thing. Listen, after the Sanhedrin, could, could, all they could do was try and stop it. There's no stopping the gospel message. If I were to ask you, who's the greatest golfer ever to live, what would you say? Duh. That's a very confident tiger. 
No Phil fans in the house? Okay, Phil Mickelson, close second. Let me read you some of Tiger Woods' stats. 82 PGA Tour wins, tied for most all-time with Sam Snead. I don't even know who that guy is. 15 major championships. Only player ever to win four consecutive majors. Lowest scoring average in PGA Tour history. PGA Tour of the Year, PGA Tour Player of the Year, a record 10 times. The stats prove the proof that Tiger Woods is probably one of the best to ever live. Right? Y'all would agree? By the, by the sheer number of times that it says, like, a record 10, time, 10 times, tied for most all-time, second all-time. And if I were to tell you the gospel is the greatest message, you can't disprove it. It is true. Look at these. I was far from God. Each one of you can relate to these statements. I was far from God, and Jesus died for me. Jesus was my ultimate sacrifice, the lion who defeated death and the lamb who was slain for my sins, the love poured out to make a way for me. He took my cross. He paid my cost. He made me whole. He gave me new life. He made me right with God. He made me a son. I now have hope. I have power. I'm free from the sin and death. I'm free from my guilt and my shame. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm free. I'm his. We are a people that are proving the trueness of the gospel message. The gospel is the greatest message to ever spread. I want to ask you a question tonight. What will you do with the story of God's love for you and for me, the gospel? What will you do with it? And I'm going to, I'm going to be honest and confess to me, like in my life, just for a second. I have not done well at just telling people of the love of God and the gospel message. Like it should be something that we're eager to talk about. Like how many of you love crumble cookie? If we're talking about crumble more than Christ, that's a message. <laughs> like we shouldn't be talking about the, the pink sugar cookie. I hate that, by the way. They made that a steady. That was a terrible decision. We've got to be talking about Jesus Christ more than we are. If it's changed our life, if it's who we are, if he's adopted us into his family, if he gives us eternity, if he gives us a new identity, if he truly picked us up out of the mud and the mire, out of our mess and gave us a brand new life, we should be eager to talk about it. And I'm, I'm just being honest with you, I have not done well. And so if you sit here and you're saying, man, I, I can do better, you're in great company. How many of you could say, I, I could do better? I thought that was me. I was like, I gotta be done. <laughs> How many of you can, can confess that I can do better at, at telling people about the gospel message of Christ? Even if you don't raise your hand, I believe you can. We can do it. We can have boldness like the disciples. We can have confidence like the disciples. We can share the gospel just like they did. And there was nothing all they did was share their testimony. I saw this guy healed. This is the reason. It was by the blood of Jesus, the guy you crucified, the guy that you sent to the cross. The stone you rejected is the cornerstone now. He's healed by the resurrection of the cross. If you want to know how it was done, that's how it was done. 
you can't argue. They couldn't disprove it. What story do you have in your relationship with Jesus that nobody can disprove? If I brought every one of you up here tonight and had you share your testimony, the love of God saved me from this place. It gave me hope and a future. It gave me purpose. And now I'm this. He told me I, I was believing this about myself, but now I believe this. Nobody can refute what you can prove about the gospel message. What's it going to take for us as a church to truly believe what we, what we know to be true and share it? I mean, we have social media. We could share it every day and there's still more people that need to hear it. So I'm not asking you to, to go on a rampage and delete your social and create a new like Jesus follower account or be the, be the lady or man at Starbucks that's like just shouting from the rooftops that Jesus is real. No, just having everyday conversations and saying, look, this is what God did for me. This is the power of God at work in my life. That's, how, that's why I'm here. That's, that's how this happened. I can't tell you anything else. Why do you talk about it? I can't help but talk about it. Because my God is good and he loves me. There's a quote. Do you have a quote, Holden? Okay. There's a quote. I want to read this and then pray. It says, if we were left to ourselves with the task of taking the gospel to the world, this is David Platt, we would immediately begin planning innovative strategies and plotting elaborate schemes. We would organize conventions, develop programs, and create foundations. But Jesus is so different from us. With the task of taking the gospel to the world, he wandered through the streets and byways. All he wanted was a few men who would think as he did, love as he did, see as he did, teach as he did, and serve as he did. He, all he needed was to revolutionize the hearts of a few. And they would impact the world. I believe what most of the time stops us is it feels too large of a task to take on ourselves. Y'all relate with that? It feels like, how can I accomplish that? That wasn't Jesus' attitude. He said, if I can have you 12 and you just walk with me and learn the way I can do this, and learn my ways, we can do this. And then he says, I'm gonna leave you with my spirit because now I can be with everyone at the same time as opposed to me just being with you 12. Church, we can do it. The gospel message is worth everything we can give our life for. And I'm just asking, what is your step? Two questions to leave you with today. Will I stand for the gospel even in the face of opposition? And what is God asking me to do with the gospel message. Let's take some time and pray.